Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. So we have this reoccurring theme, and it's a it's an outstanding one, um, and it's appropriate with this time when we talk with guests about, um, you know, what gives them joy and satisfaction in what they do, um, how have they made career changes and and choices to put them in these positions. Mm-hmm. We heard about that from Ron Lundine. We heard about mm-hmm. we heard some of that with James D'Amato, obviously. Yep. yep. And today, um, we're going to be talking with James Sutter, who, and you're going to hear this story. For many who are in the RPG world, yeah. they'll tie James' name to Pathfinder oh, and yeah. Starfinder. Um, and we get into that just because his story is, is again, fascinating. Yep. But what I really liked was going beyond um, just the Starfinder and Pathfinder stuff. Yeah. And talking about talking about all the other things he's involved with i'm personally we, we didn't catch it on camera or on audio but we talked about guitars a bit and mm-hmm. jason mm-hmm. kind of spaced out because it was just nerdy guitar pickup stuff and everything but, it, it was good it was music I yeah it. it was it, so so yeah music alone i mean you know there's all sorts of stuff that yeah. that james could have talked about if we kept him going but but toward on. toward well i was going to say toward the end brad but i think once once we get into it but it, once we get into the interview with with james everyone's going to hear and especially again toward the end a bit more um they're going to hear this theme that you just opened with come up yet again and it's i i don't think it's anything we're doing you know we've always been on this kick of let's talk about rpgs in real life and vice versa but james is going to talk about fit and he's going to do so in like the most modest way Yeah. And I think you hit it just fit. Mm -hmm. We haven't really, that's not, it's come up, but it just hasn't, maybe it's, we're more cognizant of it, but it's a theme that's coming up. And I don't think, like you said, it's without any prompting when they start telling their stories, James starts telling his story. He talks about how he could have gone down a career path, but he chose a different, Mm -hmm. you know, and he, and he's found real satisfaction in it. Now he's doing something again, that's Mm -hmm. allowing Mm -hmm. him to do that. With mm-hmm. writing, you'll hear about that in the interview. I don't want to give anything away. Now, granted, I think after approximately 30 interviews, we are hopefully better at the skill of interviewing or suck less at the skill of interviewing one way or another. So, you know, hopefully that's not hurting. Maybe maybe we are, um, maybe we're asking better questions, but I still think you're right that that people are talking and, and and I'm glad that the the podcasts, our little space here, is providing a venue for people who are super creative to talk very openly about um, both the successes and the struggles of how they are and how they've been successful being creative. Yeah, and I think you know, and this is not you know, I I cannot keep up with all of the fascinating podcasts that are out there. You and I have talked about it. Oh God, um, yeah. My my Apple Podcast app would would burst at the seams if I could try to keep up with all the good stuff. That's I happening. already listened to too many. Yeah, I have I have so many. So I understand, folks, if you're just listening for the first time or just yeah, listening thank to a you. snippet, mm-hmm. we appreciate it. But I think, you know, I think we have improved a little bit. And I think what where I have found us differing from, and I'm not saying from others, differing from early on till now is mm-hmm. 
we ask questions, but they're kind of leading questions. And mm-hmm. we have such fascinating guests yeah. that they can tell their stories without even us prompting. And it to bring it back to RPGs for a moment, Brad, it, it makes me enjoy role-playing games even more knowing knowing now so many people behind the stories the world building wait for it uh and we we keep yeah we every time we we say world building or one of our guests is world building we both especially brad let's like perk up like a puppy like oh world building he'll be nodding there sagely uh but but seriously i i enjoy engaging whether it's uh with a pc or as a gm or just like we are want to do reading the books recreationally turns out a lot of our guests do the same thing so we're definitely in good company but it's an even richer more delightful world to me now because to know some of the people behind it like like people like like james i mean my God, he was essentially in charge of Pathfinder and Starfinder development. And at least a few people have heard of those games. Oh, yeah. 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 Like I said, for those man. who are in the, the gaming or writing world, they're going to know oh, man. his work from that area. But even that, I mean, he consciously, you're going to hear the story about he he made a, a decision, you yep. know, with good, um, you know, everyone you know, still feels good. He still is involved with, yep. with writing and all that, but he decided to take a different path. And yeah. um, I found it fascinating. I could have, I could have listened to, I could have prompted him potentially to, to, to just keep talk going. more about that just for that change alone. Oh, and, and I think James would have indulged us because he had so much to say. So I think that's a good transition. Let's get into our interview with James Sutter. It's a longer one. Uh, definitely listen Listen through the end, because with our interview with James, I think you will find the topic shifted maybe more consistently, but subtly, uh, step by step by step by step than any previous interview. And so where we end and where we begin are not at all the same, but it was a really fun discussion for us uh, and hopefully for James the whole way through. So here we go. James L. Sutter is a co-creator of the Pathfinder and Starfinder role-playing games. From 2004 to 2017, he worked as an editor and developer for Paizo Publishing, starting on Dungeon Magazine, moving on to do foundational work for Pathfinder, and eventually becoming the creative director in charge of launching Starfinder, as well as the executive director of the Pathfinder Tales novel line for Paizo and Tor McMillan. In 2017, he left Paizo to write full-time. When not writing, James has performed with musical acts ranging from punk and metalcore to musical theater. He lives in Seattle in a house he shares with his wife and several friends. So James, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. There's a lot to talk about. And, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Obviously, there's 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 a history there with with Paizo and Pathfinder and Starfinder, but you're doing so much more um, these days that we want to make sure that we hit on that a great deal because your creative writing is really fascinating to us and your music and and all that. You're multifaceted. Thanks. Yeah, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a dilettante. I really, for better or for worse, I like to jump around into all the different things. Awesome, awesome. So you're you're based out of Seattle, but you worked 
at Paizo. Did you actually like, were you living in the Twin Cities at the time when you started? Oh, no, no, Seattle. Uh, Paizo has been in Seattle uh, oh. the whole time. What am you're, I thinking? Oh, you're thinking, thinking... Uh, TSR and like yes. the old days, but yes. that Sorry. all moved out. Seattle is kind of the center of tabletop gaming these days, ever yeah, since, seriously. Uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. and then all of the companies like Paizo and Green Ronin and all the others that sort of spun off of people who had at one point worked on D&D. And then yeah. you see all these other companies pop up, like, you know, Monty Cook Games and everything. We're all in kind of the Seattle area. There's another reason for us to take a pilgrimage there, Jason. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so. it's a little, Like we were talking before we hit record, it's a lovely city. James, were you already in the Seattle area or did you come oh. out because of work? No, yeah, I'm, I'm local. Uh, I wow. grew up here. I grew up actually a couple of miles from where the Paizo offices ended up being. Um, So yeah, no, I grew up here, went to college here at the University of Washington. And then when I got out, I was looking for a job and happened to stumble across the fact that uh, Paiso was hiring for an editor-in-chief for Amazing Stories. And I knew I was not qualified for that, but it was, you know, it was the first time I'd realized that the company was local. Yeah. Um, and so I had been doing journalism at the time okay. uh, in mm-hmm. college, and I sort of thought that was where I was going. Mm-hmm. And so I graduated. I was 20 years old, got to college, had been doing a bunch of, you know, fun college gonzo journalism, uh, you know, the sort of stuff where it was all writing about sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then I got out of college and found out that nobody really wants to pay you to write about sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, in college, right. it was all I would go have adventures and write about it. And yeah. then I got out and suddenly I was working for like small suburban newspapers, uh, you know, doing the latest feature on, you know, the grand opening of the new old folks home or whatever, which were like, it was a fine <laughs> job, but it was not, uh, it didn't have the same spark as the stuff that I'd been doing in college. Yeah. Uh, and so I was looking around trying to find a way to write while still sort of tapping into that more creative side because mm-hmm. uh, I'd been writing, you know, short fiction and stuff during college and starting to get a little bit published, but not yeah. a ton. Uh, and then I found that Paizo, which did at the time, Dragon, Dungeon, uh, Amazing Stories and a magazine called Undefeated that was around uh, card games. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that they were based out of Bellevue, which was mm-hmm. only a couple of miles from where I lived. Yeah, And so I went, oh, this is amazing. So I literally sent an email to the CEO and said, uh, you know, Lisa Stevens and said, hey, I see you're hiring for an editor-in-chief. I am totally unqualified, but here's what I can do. You know, here's my nice. resume. And I'd, nice. I had, you know, a hundred newspaper articles or something under my yeah. belt at that point. So I had some experience uh, and I sort of didn't realize how... Uh, <laughs> I didn't, I, I was just out of college, so I didn't realize kind of how gauche it maybe was to just email the CEO, but uh, she liked my moxie and brought me in and interviewed yeah. me and then said, well, you know, we don't have an editorial position, but let me see what I can do. So she hired me to start, uh, they just launched their web store and she hired me to find uh, product images just on Google and download them and collate them for her at a oh, Nicola wow. JPEG. And so that was my first job in the wow, game industry. Wow. It was literally just, you know, doing what I'm sure uh, a bot could do in right. five seconds. I was doing manually for a few months. And then <laughs> I managed to roll that into an internship where I was uh, interning on Dungeon and Dragon magazines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I was still, you know, 
freelancing for newspapers and teaching, uh, you know, SAT prep classes and doing a bunch of hustles on the side. Um, And then after about a year of that, uh, I managed to, well, originally I was, you know, trying to get onto the editorial side. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they told me, good news, we're hiring you as our new customer service rep. And I said, well, that's, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. But I really the internship is more kind of what I want to do. So maybe I'll just stay the intern if that's cool. And they were like, and we're abolishing the intern program. So you're either promoted to customer service or you're fired. And I went, oh, okay. So I did customer service for a while, but within, uh, which also was a great, you know, like it it was interesting because it was the days of the magazines and the company was still pretty small. So like, yeah, okay. You had a problem with your magazine subscription at any point during that year, I worked that job. You got me. I was the only one answering the phone. Wow. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, but then pretty quickly I ended up as uh, the assistant editor on dungeon magazine and really learned Mm -hmm. the ropes there um, and started writing adventures and uh, you know, developing and whatnot. And Mm then, uh, a few years after working on that, um, you know, Paizo lost the licenses to Dungeon and Dragon magazines and we launched Pathfinder just as, right. well, we got to do something. And the only thing we know how to do is Dungeons right. and Dragons. So we launched Pathfinder. And then pretty soon after that, we launched the Pathfinder role-playing game and all of that just took off. And so I was doing a lot of, you know, groundwork development with the team. It was a pretty small team of us, uh, building all those um but yeah and then just did I, I did a bunch of different jobs there you know i developed a lot i did a lot of editing eventually ran the editing department um mm-hmm. uh after a while i got to launch when we launched a novel line i got to be in charge of that so i was the executive editor of all the pathfinder tales books which was really nice. fun yeah um got to work with a lot of great fiction authors to kind mm-hmm. of bring stuff to life um and then when we decided it was time to launch starfinder uh I, you know, put in my bid and said, I think I could, I think this project as initially proposed uh, is going to be a grueling death march. And I think I can do it. Like, give me, (laughs) make me creative director and I will give you this game. And uh, Eric, the publisher was like, all right, do it. Um, And that was, there were a number of reasons why that was kind of a good fit, partially because a few years before I'd done a book called um, Distant Worlds, which was a setting book for Pathfinder that was detailing Pathfinder's whole uh, solar system, yeah. which my, uh, you know, I, I've always been a science fiction nerd as well as a fantasy nerd. And so what my coworkers were kind enough to let me just sort of take all the other planets and do that. Um, and then when we did a sci-fi game, it was natural transition to say, well, okay, well, maybe that's the setting for our new game. So I got right. to build Starfinder off of that work I'd already done in Pathfinder um, with, you know, I mean, obviously there was a ton more that went into that book and everybody Mm -hmm. in the company was all hands on deck, but it was really nice to be able to lead that team for the year, year and a half it took us to go sort of uh, from, hey, we should do Starfinder to Starfinder is launching at Gen Con. It was an incredibly short schedule for a game and a book of that magnitude, yeah. but we pulled it off and I'm really proud of it. Yeah. It, that's really, I mean, well, and you should be, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because you were at Paizo essentially for the bulk of their evolution of what yeah. they are now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it's weird to think because uh, you know, 
it felt very established when I came in, but it had only been a couple of years. And, right. you know, by this point, uh, looking back, it's like, yeah, I was the new guy, but we were all kind of new. We were all, mm-hmm. we were all very young. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was there through a lot of the growing pains and then, yeah. um, yeah. And a lot of our successes as well with Pathfinder and Starfinder and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then, uh, once Starfinder came out, you know, I, got to have that experience of like, we have launched the game. It was incredibly successful. You know, I got to go to Gen Con and walk down the line, signing autographs, feeling like I'm, you know, a rock star. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I kind of said, you know, I think that this is as good as it gets. Like I want to, I, you know, I'd always kind of thought like, I want to pull the Calvin and Hobbes and like leave at the apex, you know, right, right. Leave folks wanting more. And so I came back and, Within a month of the game's launch, I had told my bosses that uh, I was leaving the company and people were people were shocked, but, you know, it all ended on good terms. And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. then I went to writing full time and now I write novels and comics and I still do some game stuff, but uh, I'm much more in sort of the fiction world these days. So, yeah, that's that kind of brings us to now. (laughs) How does how how does it differ for you creatively? This is a broad question. So apologies. But when you were writing for the the game, you know, and even the tactical and and technical stuff versus the writing you're doing now, um, you're not necessarily having to build off of, you know, dice rolls and things like that. So it's a different I would assuming it's a different experience. How does it differ for you? It it is, although I still, you know, I still do tie in work, right? You know, uh, so I mm-hmm. still have a foot in that in that world. But you know, I think the big appeal, I mean, one of the one of the reasons I left was just that I love gaming, I love working in gaming. Uh, but the thing I'd always wanted to be since I was a little kid was a novelist. You know, like writing okay. novels was always the the That's sort cool. of end goal. And I got to do that, you know, I wrote two novels while I was still at Paizo, just yeah. on the side. Um, Death's Heretic and the Redemption Engine were both fantasy novels tied in to the Pathfinder world. Mm-hmm. And that was super fun. Um, and I really enjoyed that. But it, there came to be a point where I was saying, like, you know, I've written so many game books that I don't know that it makes sense for me to spend more time writing game books instead of writing novels when right. that's... Right. That's the thing. That's the undiscovered country that I'm still right. really shooting for, you know. Right. Um, and, but in terms of how it differs, I mean, there's a lot more creative control to being a solo author. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, and I like working in a team like working at Paizo. I was working with some of the most creative, brilliant writers yeah. around. Um Folks, and I frankly, I talk about my early years at Paizo. So much of it was just spent learning what was cool from folks like, you know, Wes Schneider and James Jacobs and all these folks. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you're on a team, everything's a negotiation, right? And right. so you have to learn, like, right. well, I like this, but Jacobs likes this and Wes likes this and Eric yeah. likes this, you know? And so uh, there's a freedom that comes from just mm-hmm. being able to be the only name on the cover, right. you know? And, well, and, and you get to build your own worlds this way, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I got to do a lot of my own sort of world building. Like I, yeah. in working at, on the, all the Paizo stuff, Pathfinder and Starfinder, yeah. uh, for many years, my method would be kind of to find a corner of the world that I cared about that nobody right. else really right. cared about, yeah. that they would just sort of 
let me do. And so instead of trying to work a little bit on all the sections, I would try to just put a ton of work into like, I'm going to write the whole book on the first world, which is the fairy realm or a whole book on this one city, you know, really let me deep dive on one part of the canon so that I could kind of do everything about one little section instead Mm -hmm. of trying to do a little bit in everybody's sandbox. But, but it's still, it's a different style of freedom when Mm -hmm. you get to just do what you want with the giant caveat that I still have an agent. I still have editors. You know, I still have lots of people saying, "Mm, maybe this could be better, but at least uh, there's a whole different power dynamic uh, when I can just say, oh, this is my vision as opposed to let us collectively try to form a vision. I I, I got to ask before we transition into what you're doing these yeah. days. So I, I especially around the Starfinder uh, creation. So those those days, weeks, months when you were, I mean, like you said, you were creating the solar system. You you were creating literally worlds, planets. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. Did you ever walk out to the car at the end of the day, the day thinking, you know, I'm kind of like a god? <laughs> oh, I <gosh>. mean, <laughs> not exactly <laughs> like a god, but like you know, it is. It is a cool job. It is a really cool cool. job. And I think one of the things that's uh, weird about the game industry or any dream job is all all dream jobs are ultimately jobs. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you get somebody, everybody comes in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and then you can get jaded along the way. But even at your most jaded, I feel like it's important to stop frequently and just be like, Let's yeah. let's look at what I'm doing for a living, right? You know, even on my even on yeah. my worst day, like I am still sitting here making up stuff about dragons and spaceships, right? You know, like awesome. it, things could have gone a very different direction, right? Like mm-hmm. I could have ended up working construction for my dad for my whole life, you know. Right. Like this is right. a much more pleasurable job than mm-hmm. digging ditches in the rain. So. Yeah. That's probably going to qualify as the weirdest question you've ever asked someone, Jason. Oh, not so. even close. Oh, come on. No, no, no. no, no, no. You got to go, go within way Within the context of this. Oh, I was going to say, I, I did therapy for a year, so we're not even close. But yeah, that's one of the, the looser ones in this context. Oh, oh so, man, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be surprised if that was even the weirdest in this, in this conversation. I expect you to tell me, like, tell me about the mating habits of the Sheeran and, in, you know, in Starfinder. How do those mating arms work? You know, like. <laughs> Well, now that you mentioned, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's very private. It's between the shoes. <laughs> safe. That's so one what, of those. That's a that's a trade secret, right? Is that a so? Yeah. So, so tell us what. Uh, so, what's going on now? What are all the things you're doing now? Because you had mentioned before we started recording that you've been changing gears over the past years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still doing some fun game stuff. Like I think they're just now uh, this weekend, by the time this podcast goes up, they'll mm-hmm. have announced um, there's a new Pathfinder Adventure Path uh, that I wrote the first adventure for, the Neat. Gatewalkers Adventure Path. And so I'm super excited for people to see that because it's got all sorts of, um, I don't know how spoilery I can get, but it's got many of the elements of the world that are my particular favorites are incorporated into this particular nice. adventure. So it was, uh, it was too good, too good to yeah. pass up. But yeah. um, you know, the main thing that I'm working on right now is I ended up uh, I write young adult contemporary novels, like mm-hmm. contemporary romance, um, mm-hmm. which is not a thing that I think anybody expected from me because it's I'd been writing adult science fiction, but 
you know, I've always loved, in addition to science fiction, I've always loved YA romance, you know, folks like Rainbow Rowell or David Yoon or uh, okay. Jeff Zentner. Um, and so at the start of the pandemic, I was working on a new science fiction novel and it was just really dark and depressing and it was all uh, very dystopian. And then the world kind of got dystopian and I said, I can't do this. Yeah. Like I'm flaming out. And so uh, a friend turned me on to some really fun YA novels that got me sort of supercharged. And I ended up writing uh, like a queer young adult romance novel called Dark Hearts. Um, that's basically, uh, the, the pitch for it is basically, imagine you are in a band with your best friends uh, and you quit the band and then they get super famous while you're still stuck in high school. Like, like imagine being oh. that one guy from the Beatles who like quits the Beatles right before they got super famous. Right. Um, so like, what if you were that guy? And then what if you and you and the lead singer of that band ended up falling for each other? So it's like uh, friends to enemies, to friends, to lovers, you know, it's all this big conflicted mass. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's contemporary. There's no science fiction or fantasy in it. It's just it's a love story set in Seattle and uh, nice. I wrote it and my agent at the time who was the a science fiction agent went, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure what to do with this. Yeah. So I had to find uh, a separate young adult agent. Um, right. But fortunately I landed with a really great one and, you know, it was like seven months of searching for the right agent. And then wow. uh, I ended up getting introduced to this agent within like two weeks he had signed me and within two weeks after that he'd sold it so the book oh. comes out next summer um awesome. 2023 and then uh it and we sold it in a two book deal so i'm already under contract to write uh another one so neat i'm apparently a young adult romance author now and i'm loving it well <laughs> done congrats <laughs> thanks and i'm still you know it's funny because i'm still like i said like i'm a dilettante uh so in a, like on the one hand, I'm writing all this young adult romance. And on the other hand, I've been having a bunch of uh, like horror short stories that have sold recently. Like I just had one come out in Nightmare and there's going to be another one in Nightmare soon, as well as in uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. So as for whatever cool. reason, now I'm doing horror, which I've never done before and young adult romance, which I've never done before. I'm sorry, so, am I the only one who sees the connection or do I just remember yeah. my teenage years differently? <laughs> you know, you are right. You're uh, lots of big emotions. <laughs> right. But, but this has sort of always been actually a theme in my career and just my life in general is yeah. I really every time I see somebody making something cool artistically, yeah. Yeah. I always want to try and go do it as well. Um, you know, I get very inspired. So I'm constantly genre hopping because whatever I read last that I really loved or yeah. whatever yeah. song I listened to, I immediately want to go try and figure out, okay, how did they do that? Can yeah. I do that yeah. too? You know? And so with books, you know, I'm all over the place with music. I've, you know, played with everything from like, musical theater groups to like yeah. prog metal and hardcore you know i really just i i have a hard time focusing on just one thing mm -hmm. <laughs> probably to mm -hmm. my various agents dismays but you know it, it's working out yeah really well is that your <laughs> it, so it sounds like that's kind of your comfort zone is being able to be you know like you said at delta to be able to move between different things to keep things fresh is that how yeah you yeah i mean i think it does I think it does help keep things fresh. You know, I always like to have something else 
like, you know, when something's not working on project A, I love to have project B that's something yeah. totally different that I can yeah. jump to. Um, you know, I've often told my told my wife, like, I almost I almost need a book that's like the designated book that I'm too scared of. You know, it's the one that I'm trying to write that isn't working that I can be scared of. And then I can go like while I'm avoiding that, write something else on the side. And I've got several books that I've written while avoiding the book that I was theoretically writing. And so as long as, as long as that keeps working, I just, that's the designated, like uh, the designated failure almost that I don't have to worry in the other places. Do you on that note, do you James find any significant or meaningful cross fertilization as you're hopping around genres? Oh, I mean, Probably. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to think immediately of, you know, well, what do I take from adult horror that I put into young adult romance? But I think, I think you find little bits of voice or things that it all, it all goes in and it all mixes around. And like, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but I do know that it's really refreshing to be able to work on something else. Like you, yeah, like you were saying, right. uh, yeah, I think I just really like being exposed to a lot of different voices and also to be able to get out of whatever I'm working on or whatever I've been reading a lot of long enough to be able to come back and appreciate it. Right. Cause if okay. I'm just working on, if I'm writing Epic fantasy and I'm working on Epic fantasy and all those things all mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. um, I can't just uh, monoculture or else everything will start to feel very similar. Yeah. And so yeah. if I'm trying to write horror, I want to be reading comedy because I want to give my brain that break. You know, it's uh, I want to be putting in stuff that yeah. Yeah. can, can let me escape. Mm-hmm. 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 If you had to doubt, you know, do you see yourself, do you see this as kind of the, the, like you said, you kind of taken a turn. It's actually a very cool one. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of the path you see yourself going? Like you said, you were you wanted to be a novelist since you were very young. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think like, I think that in the long term, as much as I love gaming uh, and we'll probably always keep getting pulled back, if, <laughs> if nothing else, because it's really nice to be able to write adventures and then use them in my home game. You know, so if yeah. I'm going to, if I'm going to write an adventure for my home game anyway, it's nice to get paid for it and have it published. <laughs> but, uh, but re- realistically, I oh, think yeah. that fiction is probably what I'm better suited to anyway. I think my skills okay. are better there. Um, mm. cause I've never, to be perfectly honest and, uh, this is probably not a revelation anybody who's played with me, but uh, the rules have never been my strong suit. Like I just Mm -hmm. don't care that much about mechanics. Um, You know, I care about setting and world design and characters Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the rules, the fiddly bits are always kind of the parts that I wanted to avoid as much as possible anyway. Mm -hmm. So in fiction, I can do all of the parts that I like and none of the like, and now I need to design 10 new spells, despite mm-hmm. the fact that the game already has 10,000 spells and I have no idea what niche hasn't been filled, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think novels are where I'm going to end up being and comics. I really like writing comics too, but I would be shocked if I stay in just one genre. Like I'm really trying yeah. to have multiple sort of 
careers going at once. You hmm. said, so you, 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 you kind of led me into a question. So you mentioned home game. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was going to ask if you're still gaming and it, yeah. you obviously you still are. I, um, I actually game more since quitting my day job in the game industry than I did. And I think that that's actually probably pretty common. Interesting. Um, I think, I mean, a, the game industry can be a real meat grinder, you know, even mm-hmm. like at every company I have yet to hear of a game company that didn't have, you know, crunch times, but the exception of like maybe a few of the smaller ones, but mm-hmm. uh, in that situation where you're working on gaming stuff all day, it can be really hard to want to stick around and play games after work, especially, yep. you know, the, the blessing and the curse of working at a game company is you're playing with, you know, if you play with your coworkers, you're playing with some of the brightest, you know, best players, best GMs, you're getting a world-class gaming experience. Right. But also everybody kind of just wants to go home because they've already been there for nine hours. Right. right and right. so uh, it's this balance. Like I played some wonderful, wonderful long running games while I was at Paizo, but also I saw a lot of us burn out on it. And so mm-hmm. once I was able to, uh, you know, work on my own and do my own thing, I was able to really reconnect with what I loved about the games originally, you know, yeah. to get away from that sense of the game represents all my deadlines that I have to meet and all the work sure. that still needs to be done. And you're seeing all the sponges yeah. you left in the patient to just get back to the point where you're like, oh, no, I just, I just like doing this. This is fun. This is a way to connect. And during the pandemic, it's been vital. Like being able to play over Zoom with, right. uh, you know, uh, my core group, which includes both, you know, uh, friends I've had since high school and former coworkers, you know, it's nice. a big mishmash, but it's been amazing. It's been the the highlight of my week often. So at the risk of asking a potentially foolish question here, what, what, what do you play these days and how often are you playing? Oh, well, so right now I'm playing Pathfinder. Um, mm-hmm. I generally gravitate, uh, towards pathfinder and starfinder uh Makes and maybe sense. dungeons of dragons because uh-huh. it's I, because i don't really care that much about the rules i'm not a big fan of going and learning a giant new rules set yeah, so i enough. tend to default to the stuff that i already have learned real well um but if i'm going to play something different i often want to play like a story game like the one i always uh cite because i think it's so elegant is dread if you guys have played that it uh no. it's a horror game it's indie game very slim a uh, slim little rule book, but you play it with a Jenga tower and it's a horror yes. game where yes, like, we have. Mm-hmm. you say, yeah, you say what your character mm-hmm. wants to do. And the, the game master says, all right, well, that's going to be one pull. Or if it's really hard, that'll be two pulls. And you just keep doing that. And if at any point the Jenga tower falls while you're pulling, your character dies. And it creates this great sense of suspense because it's Jenga. You know somebody's going to die, die eventually. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. And so you end up with this situation where everybody in the room is literally terrified, even you know beyond what's happening in the story. So it really lends this great sense of tension that I haven't seen in any other yeah. uh, game like that. And also the other thing that I love about it is the way you build your character is by asking... Uh, like the GM asks you all these leading questions uh-huh. and you have to write down an answer. And so uh-huh. instead of, you know, what's your strength? What's your desk? Mm-hmm. Dex, it's like, when was the last time you cried? 
why didn't you see your dad when he was dying in the hospital or whatever? Just like all these questions that make you go, oh, and it's impossible to not come up with an interesting answer to that. Right, and so right. everybody ends up with these cool backstories. So I think that's that's one of the smartest uh, role-playing games I've seen around. But but like I said, I'm I'm lazy. I tend to gravitate towards the, <laughs> the games that I've worked on. Mm-hmm. How often are you so playing? So right, right now yeah. I'm playing... Uh, I've got a Pathfinder game that plays every week. Um, And similar, I've tried to have like either a Starfinder or a Pathfinder game going once a week. That's about the right level for me, you know, especially because I'm always running them. Uh, I really like GMing more than playing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. uh, I was going to ask if you're, obviously mm -hmm. there's incentive for those to join a game with you as a game master. Yeah, know the material pretty well but yeah i mean i i hope that i'm a good game master i mean i've like i said i've played with some of the greats so i know i know my own inadequacies but i think i think i'm a very fun gm i always go for you know i just want to get together with my friends and laugh and i feel like a game that is doing that as long as we're laughing uh it's working so i'm like i'm a big fan of you know critical fumbles every time somebody rolls a one something terrible happens you know just all these yes uh, (laughs) sort of cartoony antics uh really make me happy and that's how we tend to play yeah yeah during the pandemic it's been big too because um so uh it's actually it's weird so i don't really listen to any um like real play tabletop stuff like i'm not big into critical role or like no uh adventure zone or any of that but my wife really is um and so she doesn't play but she enjoys just hanging out and listening to all of us like we're sort of her own personal like rpg podcast kind of thing every that's great and so yeah it's a fun way to like have her involved as well um and so we're in sort of a weird situation so my wife uh has some really serious medical stuff um so she's pretty disabled um yeah but one of the things she can do is lie around and listen to podcasts and things. So being able to yeah, have her yeah. be part of the group That's while awesome. also like lying very quietly and not having to interact has been yeah. really nice. So yeah. That's outstanding. For, yeah. You know, I've yeah. seen this come up as a question. So, and because you've been involved in gaming and now you're creative writing, yeah. I'll ask it. Um, I've seen folks ask, so being a game master, do you find that that's been helpful as a writer or is it Mm -hmm. really just, is it really separate? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, You know, I don't know. It's hard for me to separate being a game master from being a game designer because I've been doing interesting both for most of my, most of my life. Right. Right. Um, So I think that for me, like game design has taught me so much about world building. Um, and I'd say I've learned a ton from that. Uh, and actually like the, I feel like whenever my world building isn't going well in fiction, it's because I've like gotten away from my own rules. Like I love, I love teaching world building classes and stuff. And inevitably when I'm stuck, I find, Oh, I'm not taking my own damn advice, right? Like, you know, I, I gave yep. all these great yep. ideas and then I ignored them all and wrote myself into a corner, you know? Uh, so yeah, I think that's probably where it's most influenced things is uh, in the setting design. Um, but I also think, you know, learning about, uh, 
know, adventure design in terms of what makes a battle cool, like a cool set piece adventure, like that can be used in writing action scenes as well. You know, I'd say the majority of what I learned about fiction, I learned by being an editor at Paizo, because especially when I was editing all the sense. short fiction and then all the novels, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to be a novelist, but I was terrified to, you know, all up through college and right beyond, like I could never write anything more than a short story mm-hmm. because I would just get intimidated and flame out. Um, because I feel like when you're growing up, you see these novels that you love and you think, oh, this author produced this work of majesty. How could I possibly ever do that? Right. Right. Um, And it wasn't until I became an editor and I was working with authors sort of throughout the book's life cycle that I realized like, oh, even when I'm working with incredibly talented authors, as I was like, all the books start as, as an idea and an outline that has some garbage in it. And then you write some stuff and hit some dead ends, you know, like, and realizing that everything starts messy and only becomes, you know, that clean, beautiful statue of a book at the very end. Yeah. Let me start to think, well, I mean, I can make, I can make a crappy first draft, you know, I can make a a terrible outline like, so, so let's do it. And I really, I don't know how long it would have taken me to try and write a novel if I hadn't had all of these great authors working with me to sort of show me like, here is the way, like, here is how it is done. And so I could kind of look over their shoulder and go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, that. I think that's a really, really important point for people in any creative endeavor, certainly like reading, writing and whatever they're doing. I think that's really important. And I mean, not to digress, but so, so not even close to approximating what you do, but, you know, professionally, I write regularly nonfiction, right? It's totally different kind of writing. Doesn't take the creativity. Hey, no, I mean, well, good nonfiction definitely takes creativity. No no question. I, my favorite books, some of my favorite books have been nonfiction to, to read, but, but my point, my point is to, to, to parrot what you're saying here, because I think it's so universal. I, when I talk about writing with people, especially like with students, I'll say, look, you just write. And I tell them, look, my first draft or whatever, it's crap. And they think I'm making fun of myself or putting myself down. It's like, no, trust me on this. It's really bad, (laughs) but it will eventually materialize. And that's the process. That's so important. You know, I often think of this stuff in terms of music because I grew up being a little punk rocker and, uh, I feel so fortunate that that's how I started because punk rock is all about the just letting yourself suck. Right. You know, like I, I played piano for a few years when I was a kid and never really got into it because you spend so much time the way it's traditionally taught, just, you know, trying to learn the scales and then trying to learn to play somebody else's music. And it's just drilling and drilling Mm. and you never get to like use it. Whereas when I was, you know, 14, 15, and uh, somebody got a guitar and I learned one chord and then realized like, ah, this is the same first chord as a Nirvana song. I can play Nirvana, I'm a rock star, you know? And within, <laughs> you know, like in one evening, like literally somebody left their guitar at my house. I played for like an hour and then was like pounding on my parents' door at midnight saying, I need a guitar right now, you right, know? Right. Um, and it's because like in punk rock, you learn how to play a power chord, you learn how to move it around the neck and you can be writing songs the first day. 
And I feel like we need to approach more art forms that way. Yes. You know, where people Mm -hmm. can just, if you want to write, write. If you want to draw, draw. It doesn't have to be this big intimidating thing filled with theory and like, shit, I can't read music very well. Like if you give me sheet music, I'm going to spend the entire time sitting there writing the note name next to each little, you know, (laughs) dot. Um, But you don't need to. You can learn to play by ear. You can learn to write by ear. I know, Jace, you you learned to sing. You you had a you were singing in choirs and stuff, and you did it by I mean college. By yeah. ear. Yeah, but by uh, ear. Yeah. You know? Well, I was actually thinking of some of the jazz greats. I was just <clears throat> I was just having this conversation actually with my piano teacher before semester ended. Like, like the impl- and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum brand, the implicit theory of some of these guys who could not read music, but could riff and felt it and heard it and could create. And it was brilliant, equally brilliant, if not more so. Yeah, they, I think, they know it. Right. Well, I think James, you hit on it too. It's it's sometimes now I was classically trained in, in horn and so oh, on. Nice. And you can learn to play Mozart mm-hmm. and learn to play the inflections that he wanted. It's different. And this is something I struggled with, but it sounds to me like you started that way. Learning the passion of the music as you're playing. The passion drives the music. And that's something that's that's new to me. That's not new to you. But on the flip side, I have to say this. I, you know, when you were talking about, you know, I played a power chord, I played Nirvana. Yeah. It's probably cooler for you to do that at the age you were than me at, in my forties doing it. And my wife, you know what? what's going on. No way. It's rad. It's rad <laughs> at every point in life when you discover that. Like, and that's, that's actually, I have a huge problem with the way that music specifically, but all art is taught at least as far as I can tell. And as a product of the American public school system, like, you know, yeah. it's always this idea of, you have to learn before you can create. And I think that's absolutely backwards. I think if you teach people that they can create, they're going to have a drive to try and learn. That's right. Like they're going to want, like, you know, all the time that I spent learning scales uh, on guitar, it was because I was already writing music and I wanted to learn how to be better at it. But like, you got to light the fire first. And I, uh, something I love is that, you know, I've over the years played with a lot of musicians who were much better than I was and, you know, very classically trained and whatnot. But a thing I find all the time is musicians who are classically trained, they can play anything you put in front of them, but they have no idea how to jam. Like they're, they're terrified of the idea of playing something that isn't written. And so there's been a number of times where I've had to say, okay, well, do you know, do you know the C, C major scale? Well, of course you do. Okay. Pick notes at random in the C major scale great. Now you're, now you're improvising. Like that's all it takes. Um, and you can see people's eyes just sort of light up as they're like, Oh, it's just that easy. And the same is true of writing or game design or anything. You can just make shit. Honestly, you're the first person who's used rad in a conversation with me since the early nineties. <laughs> so at this point, anything you else you say is just gravy, but, but uh, I totally agree. <laughs> I'm a product of my, of my era, right. You know, I, like I, I fall prey to all of that. You know, everything is rad. Everything. I have, I have a bad tendency to call everybody dude or man, so, regardless of gender, you know, because I'm this surfer I, bro in my heart. You know? Yeah, exactly. Brad I has did. used dude religiously to this day. 
I, I can't even force myself, but for you, it's every other word. Hey, yeah, as long great. as, I mean, like he says, you know, rad for us, it's gnarly. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, it is one thing that is making now that I'm moving into uh, young adult fiction, uh, I'm very curious to see what happens because, you know, I've got. I've got a strong voice in the writing, yeah. but it's my voice, which is now 20 years older than the yeah. target, you know, the characters, yeah. the target demographic. So I'm always worried that I'm going to come across as that, uh, that old man, you as know, the how do you do fellow kids? Today, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. a serious question on that, actually, because I, I actually just had a very similar conversation with some others, approximately my age, uh, no, we're just I, a few years older. We, I, we shouldn't make James yeah, like he's. Yeah, like, yeah no, no. <clears throat> but yeah, we, no. We, we've got some time on you. But but really, but seriously now, in terms of writing for a young voice, like um, I don't know how much of a thing this is. I just learned a handful of days ago that one can look drip or drippy. I've never heard of that. But neither had I. I tried that out on my 14-year-old. She had never heard of that. I decided internally I was too cool for school and I wouldn't bring it up again. Uh, But but really, like this is a this is an issue, right? With every generation, we've got our lingo. Just like it's difficult for me not to use like in a sentence unnecessarily. Oh, yeah. And I can tell, right? I can tell you when that started. Or the way a lot of us these days are using right as some kind of internal confirmation that'll pass in another year. How are you, how are you, how are you speaking in another generation's voice with any sense of fidelity? What's the process around that? So I don't, um, I speak in my own voice and hope desperately that the kids uh, accept me. Um, But no, really, uh, the honest truth is I kind of just try to write like me, try to write how we talked when I was a kid. Um, and try to swap out, you know, any obvious slang where I go, Ooh, that might be dated. Let me Google Mm. and find what the more recent versions are, you know, and see what, see what I can find, but I'm sure I'm doing some of it wrong. Um, my hope is always just that the feel will come across, right. Um, you know, that will at least, you know, the swear words haven't changed that much, you know, that, that sort of thing, like that, that the feel will be right. And I mean, the the fact of the matter is almost none of the media that's being created for teens is being created by teens. So I think Mm -hmm. it's probably weird being a kid and just existing in a world of like, none of it is really authentic. Some of it might feel more authentic than others, but I think that was true for us too. You know, when we were watching teen movies or whatever, they were all being written by 40 year old people. So like, yeah you identify with what you're presented with, I think, which is also, of course, why it's so important to have, you know, a diversity of voices within Mm -hmm. any Mm -hmm. media is because you do identify with what you're presented with. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if, if all the books that people get are of a particular viewpoint, that will be the dominant viewpoint. So it's important to really break it out. That's very well said. Yeah. I'll interject my opinion just because I get it. First of all, it's not drippy. It's cringe. Uh, so fair i cringe, cringe i know cringe is the word jason not cringeworthy well, i cringe. i i'm i'm not i'm yeah. not claiming it i was i was taught this by by a young adult i know but watch, watch say cringe and watch the young adult cringe when you say <laughs> i will um, try that when i go upstairs yeah and then yeah. two tiktok I, everyone talks about tiktok and i'm not advertising it on here but what's funny is is there are more people on there and maybe it's just the way it searches for me mm-hmm. there are more people all of our age here on TikTok than 
the young kids would want you to believe. And right. they're the ones that help drive a lot of that uh, content and vernacular and so on. Yeah. So it's kind of well, funny and- how, how we're still involved in some periphery way, but no one, they don't want us to know. Yeah. Well, and I, I probably should watch TikTok just for the, uh, the research value, but I think, I don't know, when I think of the kind of young adult author I want to be, I, I think about somebody like, like John Green, who I, you know, I love his stuff and he is beloved by, you know, folks from their, you know, their fifties down to, you know, people who are teens right now, but his voice is always him. Like it's always just him talking. And at this point he's a 40 something dude. Right. Uh, but like the books still connect. So as long mm-hmm, as the books mm-hmm. are connecting, mm-hmm. clearly, clearly there's something there. Yeah, that's fair. I find, I, you know, and, and I yeah. have an 18 year old and a 16 year old, and I find that a lot of times they like to read where they're not hearing it because they mm. hear that all the time. They're hearing things and they're reading things in a language that um, I don't want to say is new or different, but it's, it's a comfort to them because it's not what necessarily the kids are saying in school, Yeah, you know? You know what so. fascinates me with uh, with teens and art right now is that like all the folks who are growing up right now are doing so with access to all of the media that came before right. in a way that we didn't have. Oh. Like, I mean, I think that like coming up, what was on the radio was kind of what was going to be yep. That's right. uh, influencing us. And now when I, you know, I don't have kids, but when I talk to my friends who have teen kids, uh, it's really interesting to see, you know, their favorite music you know they won't necessarily make a distinction between harry styles and led zeppelin right and it just like that the time in between there doesn't matter yeah which is kind of why you know like oldies radio has been the same music since we were kids even though they've gotten 30 40 years older right right um but i think it's true the same thing is true with books and movies you know i think teens today just consume a much broader palette of media, yeah. which I think is yeah. fascinating. Especially, I, I think it's a really salient observation, especially with all the streaming you can do on TV. Now, like you sure. don't need that many. Like, so my girls are 14 and 16. And so now when we had a couple of years ago, the first winter of the pandemic, you know, when everything was yeah. shut down, we're like shut down hard, especially with school. I think over winter break, I, I don't know. It wasn't very many months, at least. They watched all 10 seasons of friends. Right. Right. And, and now such a resurgence. I, right. And, but what kind of to your point though, too, about how, well, it, you know, you write in a consistent voice and you hope that the feel is there friends. It blows my mind. Friends is as salient for them today as it was for us when, when we were in college and it was brand new. And we, the only, the only difference is when it came out, Brad and I were like, Oh, look, they're 10 years older than us. And amazingly, now when my children watched, I'm like, oh, look, they're 10 years younger than us. I don't know how that happened. Right. And now they're watching Modern Family, which I never watched. Turns out it's hilarious. Right. But even though, like, they pick up a flip phone, which my children have never seen. Right, I mean, right, right. I mean, why are all you these cell phones that you could like the bricks that you could bludgeon somebody right, with right. Don't touch like, screen, why, why would that phone just hang there on the wall right but still like you said it's like the, like the time isn't there it's about the story it's about the feel for them well yeah and you see kids that'll watch i mean there are teens who will watch singing in the rain you know like there's oh. all sorts of stuff that yeah. is uh that you know that weirdly i feel like i was much more snobbish about uh 
you sort of only wanting to consume media of my era when I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. If it was, mm-hmm. if a movie was more than 20 years old, I did, I wasn't interested, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Part of that was because I was watching science fiction and right. you got a lot of better special effects <laughs> in 20 right. years. But, uh, right. but, you know, I like when I was writing uh, this book that just sold, um, you know, I was putting references in there to films and stuff. And I had to really research, like, are kids going to get that, right? Like if I'm talking right. about the difference between, star wars and alien like have these kids Mm. seen alien aliens Mm. older than i am right uh but it turns out it's still relevant because everything is accessible now Uh, anyway not to turn your no 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 no, this is great men talk about (laughs) this is exactly what we like we like the organic conversation as as a non-sequitur though before we before we start to to wrap up the final question or two i the the funniest meme i've seen on this point is someone posted on twitter a picture of the predator next to a picture of an ewok and the comment was disney now owns them both right they could make it happen yeah And, and it comes to mind because because even for, well, actually, my girls have no idea who the predator is, but but everybody knows who the Ewoks are. But that's that's where they live. I mean, even look at things like um, like you know, it, the current generation's Marvel is our generation Star Wars. You sure. Know? Yeah. But 100%. then, but then they're all into they're all into some of this music because, or at least. Sometimes because on Guardians of the Galaxy, right, it, right. it was old when we were kids, uh-huh. right? I mean, it's or or just the the Stranger Things effect, right? Yes. My younger daughter is chomping at the bit to oh. watch season four, and I like watching it because she wants to watch it with me, which is great. And they nail the eighties so perfectly, mm-hmm. and they don't really care that it doesn't look or feel like where they're growing up it's just it clicks because it's i mean it's historical fiction yeah right it's like it's like a a kid watching stand by me now is like us watching the wonder years when we were kids right or something right it's it's of a previous era but Mm -hmm. whatever i mean i'm i like science fiction and fantasy i want to see other milieus you know yeah so so wrap up question here and and you know answer as much or as little as you as you're comfortable um (laughs) sounds good so you know you've like before we recorded and now during this wonderful conversation, you've taken left turns and you've often done so really intentionally, which is yeah. impressive. Um, what's next on, on the docket? Like three years, five years from now, do you have ideas like you'd like to pursue? Do they, do they look different than what you're doing today? Well, I think they look, uh, they look like what I'm doing today, but more. Uh, I would like to, my ideal career for the foreseeable future is I'd love to be doing uh you know, sort of maybe, I don't know if I can pull off two books a year, but I'd love to be at a pace where I do a young adult, you know, romance book. Mm -hmm. And then I do an adult science fiction book. And then I do another young adult book. And then I do, you know, an adult fantasy trilogy or something, you know, I'd really love to be able to play with both of those at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, And I, um, I can't talk about it yet, but there's a new comic project that I've uh, signed up to write that I'm really excited about. And so, uh you know being able to still have multiple different yeah. uh yeah. things going at once but i'm at this beautiful point where and i want to be really clear to people uh it sounded very smooth during all this but it's like and then i just transitioned into doing stuff um hmm. folks should know when i so i had already written two novels uh that were you know reasonably successful fantasy novels um 
before I left Paizo. And here I had had, you know, all this success with the game stuff. You know, I had tons of friends in both the gaming industry and the science fiction and fantasy industry. Like I was very well connected. Uh, and at the point at which I left, like I had an agent, I had a novel that was being shopped and another one being worked on. Like I sort of thought all oh. systems were go. Uh, that was four plus years ago. Um, and after I left, like, you know, a lot of things didn't go the way I planned, right? Like that yeah. book that I, that was on submission didn't end up selling. Uh, neither did the next one. Um, oh. You know, I went through, uh, I'm on my second and third agents now, respectively, um, mm -hmm. for adult and young adult. Um, so like it, uh, even for me being as well positioned as I was, like, the novel publishing business is a bumpy road. Mm. Uh, and, you know, fortunately I had, I was in a good position and my wife was super supportive. You know, mm. she had always said, this is clearly what you should be doing now. This yeah. is what you're excited about. Like go, if you, yeah. if you have to get a day job again, like we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But in the meantime, yeah. just go. And so there were several years where it was not working. And so I feel very fortunate now that I'm in a place where the books are selling and, you know, everything seems to be yeah. going well. But one of the big things that I've learned hanging out with a lot of other authors, including, you know, best-selling authors that are I'm friends with is they're all terrified. Everybody's terrified that their next book uh, yeah. is going to be their last book, yeah. you know, that, that it'll tank and nobody will publish them again because it is a rough business. Um, but there's a certain freedom in knowing that that never <laughs> that never gets better um and so you're if you're always going to be scared uh you might as well be scared doing what you love yeah and excellent. so just write the book you want to write make the game you want to make and uh either it'll work or it won't but like you're we're very lucky in this industry in that we can just keep doing it like you can write uh on your lunch break at work you can write in the morning before the kids get up, whatever, like you can do it anywhere in a way that like, you know, if you want to be an actor, there's a, there's a real firm cutoff point where at some point right. you leave LA or get a real job. Uh, yep. I shouldn't yep. say real job, but like, you know, you, you reach that point where you're like, this isn't going to happen. Right. Yep. Like the folks that are, when I was younger, I really wanted to be a touring musician. I, that's a hard life. I feel really fortunate that I, uh, didn't end up doing that and instead ended up doing something that allowed me to be married and have a house and live in the same place and like right. come home every night, you know, yeah. as opposed to living in a van for six months at a time, you know? So uh, this was meant to be very inspiring. Uh, it, no, it really, it really is. <laughs> no, no, this is a, this is a theme. And, and I think what, what I'm, what I'm hearing, you, you may not necessarily be delineating it, delineating it this way, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um, I know there's a, a peace and a positive component to like mental health by, yeah. even though there is fear, like you said, no, this is but doing something that you love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Just, just make the art. And also yeah. I think it's important to recognize that if you're trying to do the thing that you think people will like, it may or may not work, but if you're tr doing the thing that you like, right. at least you're halfway there, right? That's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tobias Buckell, who's a great science fiction author, uh, always says that it's like, you know, at least you can guarantee half, uh, of the happiness, right. You can guarantee the part where you like your own work. Yeah. Um, and I've always found that really inspiring. 
Hey, we could keep going on this yeah, for hours so just good. because, <laughs> you know, you were worried about inspiration. Trust me, you've inspired. Um, <laughs> if you could inspire both of us, then I guarantee good, you can good. inspire everyone. But really, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, this was really actually very, it. and, and we bring folks on that selfishly, we want to hear their stories. Sure. Your creativity yeah. is, is, you know, that's so cool. contagious. Yeah. It's contagious. Well, thank you. I'm really, it's been wonderful to talk to you guys. Yeah. So we, we really we appreciate get, it. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, and we have to have you back when you, when you can start talking about some of the stuff you're working on. That, oh yeah, that totally. we can't talk about. Absolutely. So. Well, and if anybody wants to find me online, um, yeah. I'm on Twitter more than I should be uh, at just at James L. Sutter, or you can uh, find me at my website. That's just jameslsutter.com or mm-hmm. sign up for my mailing list. I'll almost never mail you, but when I do, it'll be because there's a free story or something available. Nice. So, uh, so yeah, uh, keep in contact. I love talking to people. I love answering questions. Awesome. Thanks so much, James. Thank you. Every time we talk to, and even I go back and I'll listen, afterwards and i'm normally not a fan of listening i traditionally don't listen to myself when we record. only when editing I, yeah if it helps you i don't listen to you either i know you don't i know okay. you don't but that just tra- that transcends just recording what? so that yeah exactly exactly um but <laughs> but i i have gone back and listened to these interviews um this one yeah. obviously not because yet because we haven't it hasn't released yet but mm-hmm. um I will go back. And the one thing I forgot to ask, and I'm going to put James on the spot is you got a message where your music might be out there. I would love to listen. To yes, we, we, yeah, we did not ask that. And we should, I, I completely, and we, we were talking about music beforehand and mm-hmm. I just, it, we got so into discussion and then recording. I forgot to ask. It's actually a shame. We didn't get that on tape as it were, because you guys actually had, I mean, like even as someone who doesn't play guitar, you had a really interesting, relatively brief discussion about guitars yeah. and that i think there are a number of people who would have enjoyed being a fly on the wall for that yeah i'm a i'm a guitar nerd as much to the chagrin of my wife and much to my joy but um if anyone ever wants to talk guitars message us i'm happy yeah. to do that but but uh james thank you that was just mm-hmm. that was another story i get inspired every time i hear one of those where they have mm-hmm. made uh career choices mm-hmm. you know and so on that have given them you know you know, real joy in what they do. And yeah. when you listen to him, he is very, you know, listen, if you haven't listened to the ad, please go back and do so because he gets, he's very open and honest. And that was not us prompting. Like there was nothing oh. going on screen, right? It was just, he just stopped himself. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not, you know, he wasn't looking at this through rose colored glasses. He was being no. very transparent. There's no, joy, but there's also stress and fear. Yeah, that's right. So, so speaking of being inspired, Mm-hmm. Let's wander over to the GM corner. Yeah, and I was inspired. Yeah, um, I was pre-spired, pre-inspired. No, but you, 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 you've been perspiring. Perspiring. Well, that was that's true, but um, it was a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. But point being, um, <laughs> before the interview, I decided to um, I dove in and started taking a look at um, Pathfinder Second Edition, the core rulebook. Oh yeah, something- you texted me last night. Yeah, and I had been doing it for a couple of days even before the interview, just because yeah. I wanted to to bone up. But mm-hmm. I was going to say, and this is a topic for another day, but just a just a teaser. Um, there are certain formats of reading material 
that mm-hmm. really garner my attention. Yeah. Um, rule books and core books and all that, that have more of a book approach to them, a book feel to them, like the new yes. Yes. Star Trek releases. Um, yes. Yes. Much more narrative. Love those. Mm-hmm. I love all books. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Um, Burning Wheel is very similar. Dungeon. Oh, World we still have to. We haven't brought up Burning Wheel in in a, a couple months. We've got to come back to that. We have to come back to that one. Um, but the other type of book that I like is the big tome, and oh. and second first editions core rule book was was a was a big tome. I was yeah. always fascinated by it when I saw it in the store before I even decided to start playing again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I pre ordered the the full release not any pre-release or anything yeah the full release core rule book for second edition i was in awe because it is such a large book and so it is and and just so so dense and i was reading last night ironically because i was curious as to what the role yeah. P- the rpg world said i'm air quoting um because i want to see for audio continue yeah i know yeah, air, that's I know, why i said air quoting. i know i'll keep going um but I wanted to see what people said about, you know, what did they need to play? What do you need to play a game? Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at all the different games out there, you uh-huh. know, and there's a kind of a reoccurring theme, you know, with D you can get a lot of stuff online, but if you have the player's handbook, you're good. Um, Star Wars, you know, either any, either, and even one of the starter sets for D same thing with Star Wars. Um, Paizo comes out with, has such a prolific catalog of material oh so much and they never stop producing it no there's actually a subscription service much like you know where you can get a book a month it's phenomenal yeah um and so i was very curious to see what people thought of of pathfinder second edition especially and people were like listen if you're not going to dm all you need is the core rule book you know the other stuff is great reading material but if you're not going to game master um you just need that core rule book and that gives you more than anything you'll ever need to play. Is this with second? This is with second, which okay. is very similar to what people yeah, yeah, said yeah. with first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think in say. hindsight, you can go back because of all the material that they published over what, 11, 12, 13 years Oof. of first edition material. Jeez, yeah. People go, go back in hindsight and say, uh-huh. I, you should get this book and this book and this book. Yeah. Here, because first second edition is still fresh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get the core rule book in your set so that's what i've been reading long answer um i have the game mastery and advanced players guide because those um, are such good guides yeah and some yeah. of the lost omen stuff as it comes up but yeah um the core rule book is still fa- and i find yeah. it just as fascinating to read as some of the other material we've had out there and i think mm-hmm. i texted you last night and i think your answer was like whoa um, well because we were reviewing the games we now want to play yeah and it's become a list yeah, because, uh, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was, it was funny. Oh, it's old man. It was like, okay, we have to continue D&D. We have to do more adventures. We now have to jump back into Star Wars because of some material that's come out on TV recently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then sometime we have to try some PF2, but we can't get that in right now. So funny. All right. What well, about what about what about you? Just yeah. What, well, you know, I was gonna your... I was gonna I'll keep mine brief. I was gonna go in one direction, but I'll I'll go in this other direction because it's so fitting. So this morning I was on Facebook looking at our long defunct 
remarkably short-lived attempt with our good friend Brian to play Star Wars on Facebook. <laughs> and um, I prevented myself from deleting- your, your, your fault, Brian. Oh yeah, totally, Brian. Well, a little bit actually, but that's not the point. Um, I, I prevented myself from deleting it because I thought, well, no, no. Um, I'm not gonna do that because it's a neat record and uh, we might someday go back to it. And what I found myself doing is I, you know how, you know how I had, um, I had basically screenshot a bunch of PDFs uh, from the books so that I could, so that especially for Brian, I could, I could pin to the top of that thread in the group, the dice mechanics, like all the core stuff in like wow. eight images. I found myself reminiscing over that because I love that mechanic. We haven't talked about the narrative dice system in a long time, but it's going to come back. Well, um, uh, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back at the GM corner next week, just saying. But uh, I grabbed all of those, collated them on my desktop. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just holding on to them today because, um, because I'm starting to Jones uh, again to play Star Wars, but I'm going to stop it there because yeah. I could just keep going. Well, and there's a lot that there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot Star to talk Wars, about. So. Yeah. 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 All right, everybody, we're going to call it there since this is a sufficiently long episode as always. Thank you so much for being with us. If you like what we're doing, please share the podcast with your friends your family, your loved ones. Hopefully there's some overlap. If you don't like what we're doing, you know what we think about that? Bury it deep down in your soul and tell no one. As always, be well, stay well. We will see you next week. 